Welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Uh, just to give you guys a backdrop on what exactly the group is and why we decided to start it. So we started it back in, I believe, March, around April of 2020 and kind of response to COVID. I was very difficult for people to get together and discuss commercial real estate topics. So I decided to kind of start an online uh, forum on LinkedIn to be able to invite speakers to talk about a variety of different subjects pertaining to commercial real estate. And today we have Bruce uh, who's really an expert in in financial modeling and you know has a has courses and, and a variety of different things that he offers and and I know he's going to provide a lot of insights pertaining to the modeling of 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 commercial real estate and other insights pertaining to that as well. So Bruce, welcome. Excited to have you, man. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. It's great to be here. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, and 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 Bruce is traveling today, uh, but his home base, like you mentioned, is Atlanta. So I'm sure there's some people tuning in from Atlanta uh, as well. So. Uh, welcome to you guys as well. So one thing I wanted to touch on right when we first start uh, in conversing with people is we like to learn a little bit more about their backstory. So if you don't mind kind of sharing a little bit of insights on who you are and what you do. Sure, absolutely. Hi, Bruce Kirsch, uh, founder of Real Estate Financial Modeling in 2009. Uh, based in Atlanta, uh, the company provides tools and training for commercial real estate financial analysis. And we work with uh, many of the household names that you would recognize. And um, I'm actually on site right now doing a corporate training today and tomorrow for a um, player that's in the SFR space. And um, I came to real estate in 2000 and for 2005, I, my very first job, which I was very lucky to have, was at CB Richard Ellis in Midtown Manhattan. And I worked with um, a quite famous investment sales broker named Darcy Stakem. And uh, I don't think I really knew who she was, um, but uh, I quickly found out that she was a very significant power broker um, in commercial real estate, and she had been nicknamed the queen of the skyscrapers by the New York Times. So um, I was definitely in over my head, but I, I worked hard and um, uh, I really uh, got my eyes open to the, the world of you know big transactions, sophisticated players, and so on. But I didn't think that I wanted to be in the brokerage business. Um, I had a real zest for pulling the buildings out of the ground. And so I really wanted to go work for a development company. And so that's where I ended up after I got my MBA at Wharton was I went to work for a boutique multifamily condo developer in Washington, D.C. And then after that, I worked for another developer in Washington, D.C., looking at uh, office building development and multifamily um, that firm was based in New York City, and I was uh, one of uh, a small team in D.C. getting their business started there. So my roles at these development companies always involved lots of what I call quality time in Microsoft Excel, um, and I had good training, but you could never have too much training and you can never be too good or too fast at using Microsoft Excel as a tool 
to help you and your team make time-sensitive business decisions. And so I think I really recognize the power of working in spreadsheets in general as the ability to get some level of clarity looking into the future. You're telling a story about money. You can't knowingly, nobody can knowingly tell a true story about the future. We all have to wait to find out how it plays out. But we can't just sit and wait. So if we're gonna make bets, I like to think of real estate in a sense as betting on buildings. If we're gonna make bets on buildings, you have to have some form of analytical framework that allows you to collect your thoughts and challenge your own assumptions as to what you think will likely play out and whether at a particular price, as they say, the juice is worth the squeeze. Okay, every deal looks great at a particular price, but in a competitive context, you can bid it up and up and up and you might be digging your own grave by being the high bidder. And again, you don't know, nobody knows until time passes how it's going to play out. Most certainly. Yeah, no. And, and it's kind of interesting to hear your, your feedback regarding how you got into the business. I, I feel like a lot of the people that we've talked to uh, via this, this meetup, they have, you know, differing ways they got into the business. Um, in your case, did you always know you wanted to get into the, 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 the commercial no. real estate business or is it just kind of happened that you just happened to land that opportunity and just went along yeah. with it? So I, so my father was a civil engineer. My mother was trained as an interior designer. I had zero interest in either of those things when I was growing up. So I just basically tuned out those topics when they were being discussed. Um, fast forward to when I land in Philadelphia and um, I had been working in the mutual fund business on the equity research side for technology stocks. And it just didn't have any tangibility to me. You're moving, helping people move around big blocks of stock in the market. And at the end of the day, you see your, your screen and that's what you did. And so I, I think I was yearning for something that had a, an element of tangibility to it. I didn't really know what it was. Um, and I think I concluded when I first got to Philly, I got there a little bit early and I was just sitting in my shoebox studio apartment and I just started, you know, pulled out a yellow pad or something. And I just started making lists. Like what are the things that I think I would be happy to do for 30, 40 years, right? And God willing, you know, everyone here is going to have a, a career in commercial real estate that spans decades. And it's a very important decision because it's every day and you're going to spend more time working than you will with your family and so on. So um, I basically did it by the process of elimination, you know, and I, I sort of concluded that it, there's really only sort of two things you're either a capital provider and you're making bets or you're a service provider to a capital provider. And so um, the form of capital provider that resonated the most with me was real estate development because you had these multidisciplinary elements of design and architecture. And obviously you can make a tremendous amount of money. And nonetheless, when all is said and done, there is something there that's going to be relatively permanent. And um, 
hopefully you're making a, a positive impact in the sense of bettering the community architecturally and aesthetically and all of the above. So um, once I concluded that that's what I wanted, I was laser focused. And so I, I got lucky. And here's for anyone who's considering going to business school or, or perhaps changing fields uh, and using business school as a pivoting mechanism, which it is a phenomenal thing for, and that's exactly what I use it. You basically just rebrand yourself, reorient yourself, repackage yourself, and everything that you've done prior to business school becomes an asset because it gives you knowledge about other things, right? <laughs> And then you go forward into this new field. Anybody who's considering that, or if you've been through it, the danger of not knowing what you want to do when you land in business school is there's a cheerleading group for every discipline. So if you want to go do investment banking, you can find 150 people who will cheer you on and say, this is the right choice. If you want to go do consulting, if you want to go do startups and so and so on and so forth, right? So you can find supporters for anything. And it's easy to get sort of whipped up in the rah, rah, rah for that particular discipline or that particular career choice. So you really sort of have to be conscious of what you want and very comfortable and secure in that. And then you go, and yes, it's wonderful to have people who are also interested in that. But frankly, you know, five, 10 years out of business school, you're probably never gonna see these people again. Um, so you come together, you're like-minded and you are supporters of one another, but at the end of the day, you wake up and you're yourself. So it's daunting, I will totally, agree that it's intimidating. Um, but luckily, I was able to cross out everything else on the list, basically. And there was still one thing left that I thought would be really cool to do. So I got, I got lucky. And, and um, that sort of set my path. Yeah, I know. And I think the important thing there is you, you took the time to, to do some introspection, you know, and, and again, I, I came from a, an engineering background myself. Uh, I was in, in industrial engineering, and they got into software. And then I was doing that for several years. And I realized, okay, what is what speaks to me? And I took the time to sit down and, and kind of carve a path for myself in the commercial real estate industry. And again, two and a half years in, not not a significant amount of time in the industry as of yet, but I'm very glad I've made the decision in order to move forward in, in that in that arena. And so, you know, I think the 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 kernel of, of of insight that we can take from that is that you just need to be a little bit more introspective, sit down and really get an understanding of whether or not this is something that you're you're interested in. So that's awesome. One thing I wanted to ask, and, and again, just to give you some backdrop on the audience that we have, we have people, you know, in the brokerage side, lending, uh, insurance, I mean, really all facets of the commercial real estate business. And one question that I had pertaining to the investment piece, because a lot of people that are in the industry also want to eventually invest in, in, in these types of properties. So can you talk to us a little bit about the, the value from that value add investment standpoint? Let's imagine a structure that's already completed. Maybe there's it's underperforming in some capacity, but there's ways for you to modify it so that you can increase the value of this in this building. Like, what are some of the mistakes that people make when they're analyzing the, these opportunities from a financial standpoint and also from, you know, kind of more of a, you know, non-numerical uh, metrics? It's a great question. So I, I think the real risk with value-add investing is execution. And so you have a plan, right, to 
soak up the vacancy with new tenants. That's sort of the big picture, right? And you can model that out, you can have it on a PowerPoint and so on, but actually getting that space leased up in the time period that you're targeting is a whole nother ball game. It's always easy when someone else does it, right? But when you have to do it, um, you just don't know, right? The, I think the average commercial real estate lease is under 5,000 feet, right? So if you're gonna go into a situation where you need to lease up 30, 40, 50,000 square feet for an office property, that could be 10 leases, it could be 20 leases, it could also be one lease, right? So you don't know. So it's risky in that sense. And that's obviously the, the, the reason that you can do quite well is because not everyone is willing to engage in that level of risk. And um, you can also get new leases that are you know, set to market that are way above um, what you had pro forma. So things can always go wildly successfully. And having an operating asset that also essentially has capability for major upside to give you that pop on the investment, that's the attraction. And, but yet that's a challenge. Definitely. No, for sure. And, 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 and in those instances, really, it, is it based on the assumptions that you draw based on what you're able to perform at? And then I guess, could you elaborate a little bit on the, the piece of, of how to mitigate some of that risk from the operation standpoint? It's a good question. So, you know, when you're putting together your numbers to go raise capital, you have to just be very frank with yourself and just recognize that your pro forma is a, is a, is a marketing document, okay? You're, you're telling a story about the next five to seven years. It's wrong. It's totally wrong. Nobody has the right answer, right? The right answer isn't in a bank vault locked away and you're very close to the right answer. Um, so it's... Um, it's great to have very detailed assumptions. It's great to think through all of the line items, all of the ways that you could mitigate risk and so on. Um, but until it is your asset and now you suddenly have all this vacant space and there's some fixed OPEX on that space that you have to bear as a landlord and so on, um, right? You, you gotta get it done now. One interesting way to mitigate some um, of that lease up risk is if you look at the, the apartment business, um, a, a former Washington DC real estate community colleague of mine uh, started a company called Y Hotel. And they, their business model is to essentially make newly built apartment buildings short-term hotels during the initial lease-up period, right? When typically a developer is gonna be running an operating deficit. And if it's a large project, it's gonna take a long time to lease up, right? Even at 30, 30 units a month, right? Even if you're blowing the doors off at 30 or 40 units a month, if it's a 500 unit project, it's gonna take more than a year, right? And so that I think was a brilliant business idea that they have executed on 
Um, and you know, there can be other things of a similar nature for commercial, right? So another example is for commercial or for retail, um, you know, campaign offices when it's, when it's silly season, right? Um, and everyone's campaigning, they need office space, right? And you know, by design, it's gonna be short-term, but mm -hmm. you're getting a rent stream from that during that time while you're looking for the long-term tenant. So some cash flow is always better than none. And it's ideal if you can maintain flexibility so that when you find that right tenant, you can get them in on, on the right timeline. For sure. No, that, those are some great strategies. And, and we actually had Beth Azor on, uh, who's a, a retail a broker from Florida on a while back. And she was mentioning for, for leasing strategies for retail that she can do some form of pop-up locations where you approach people who own multiple different stores and they have a certain amount of inventory. And you say, hey, look, just move some of your inventory over here, utilize the space for two or three months. And if the space works great for you after the, the three months or two months or whatever, you have the opportunity to potentially lease it up at whatever predetermined rate that we've, we've decided on. So it gives the business owner some flexibility in that they're able to utilize the space rent-free, maybe just have to pay taxes or insurance on the space but they're able to get their business going so that they can move forward and eventually sign that long-term lease. So uh, that could also be a great way to, to incorporate, you know, Absolutely. other types of business uses in, in that space. So one thing that I think, you know, we, we could talk numbers all day. And I think, I think that that's, that's really what your course is about is, is, is really getting down to the mechanics of, of, of modeling. But one thing I wanted to talk to you about is the underlying assumptions that, that come into play when you're, when you're looking at some of these financial metrics, because again, depending on what assumptions you draw, it's going to impact how you, you know, interpret the data that's in front of you. And so I wanted to kind of touch on what are some of the resources that you use to formulate what assumptions you ultimately utilize when you're determining these, uh, when you're, when you're analyzing these, these metrics. Yeah. So I have a very short answer for you, mm -hmm. which is I don't do that. Mm -hmm. our, our clients do that. We mm -hmm. provide the tool to the client. We don't mm -hmm. pretend to know their business. I don't pretend to know what the multifamily market is like in Louisville. Okay. For sure. I will, I will never pretend that. That's your value add, right? You're the local expert. You're the one who walks those streets. You have a feel, a real feel for that market. And, you know, is it possible? Could I really lease up at 10 units a month or not or could mm -hmm. i do better or would it be worse right so that's the secret sauce i think of successful investors and developers is the ability to plug the quote unquote right or right ish numbers into the model i mean the model it's just a calculator okay it's just a calculator and it's mostly just the addition and subtraction that you're doing in fan financial modeling. Okay. I was a film major in college. I can do this stuff. Okay. So there's hope for everyone. Um, it's, it's just arithmetic. So the question is, why do you think you can get $35 a foot triple net? And why not 37.50, right? That type of feel for a market comes with experience and that institutional knowledge for multi-generational companies and established players, that's their edge in a sense. Um, oh. It's not to say that their competitors don't have that same feel for those things, but 
they're not going to be likely wildly off. Whereas a rookie or a new entrant to that market is much more likely to be materially off in their assumptions. Almost oh, certainly. Yeah, no. And, and, and again, there are a lot of, of places that you can access data to help inform your decision-making process. Absolutely. I mean, this yeah. the site to site to do business is something I use all the time where you, you know, you can pull, you know, absorption data, you can pull, you know, traffic counts if you're in retail, you know, and, and obviously from the, the retail perspective, you know, you can just drive around and see if a site's visible and, you know, what type of tenants are in this, in the space or whatever else. But I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, operating within the business, whether in, a, in the brokerage side, or if you're on the institutional end, analyzing these models all the time, I think that's kind of can add to, you know, your understanding of the market. And and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would even admit like, you know, starting in your local market is probably the best way to do it because you probably have a better understanding of what is actually, you know, the dynamics are versus going into another market that you read on the New York Times being the next hot market, right? Yeah, there, there is no substitute for being there, for being with your feet on the ground. There is, I think there's even a big difference between what you absorb about a hyper-local sub-market when you're driving it and when you're walking it. I really think there is no substitute for literally walking those streets um, and not doing it one time, but doing it again and again and again, right? Did you walk it during the day? Did you walk it at night? Did you walk it on a holiday? How is it different, right? There's no substitute for that. And so that's the exciting part is that, you know, everyone is in their own submarket and you can become the expert expert and one of the experts in that market and then use that information to be an edge for you definitely no and I, someone was asking about the, the the site that i referenced it was site to do business um if you're part of the ccim institute um you can get the, well you, you can i think you can access this outside of that but i'm part of the ccim institute and you know i i, I go through the the institute to do it as well so uh, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, the, the the power of that that software is unbelievable. If you need the data in front of you, and uh, and for for lease comps, I have found that CompStack is terrific. So that's something that can also be a great resource. So another another question, really pertaining to the 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 political side of things, because I know on the development end, can you talk talk to us a little bit about some of the hurdles that you know, maybe people will face on that front. Because again, if you're local, if you're dealing with local municipalities, they may have their own zoning laws, there may be some dynamics that are at play that may or may not be, you know, beneficial as far as what you're trying to accomplish. So can you kind of talk a little bit about some of the things that you've seen in your experience as far as that, that, that is that concerned? Absolutely. So it's great to when you first come out of school, if you have an opportunity to work for an established player, it's great to do that. Um, because there's so much institutional knowledge there. And just even things as casual as what is around the office, like as a cliche, right? Those things, cliches become cliches because there's real core truth in them. And a couple that I remember from my early days at the development companies was um, if you can park it, you can build it. And if you can get the neighbors, you can build it. And the latter, I think, is so key, especially in urban environments, because 
everyone's scrunched together. And so you could have grand plans for a site, but if you can't get the adjacent property owners on board, it could be a real problem. And so I think if you want to categorize that as politics, I, I would I would say community relations, your reputation within that market is very important. And um, you know, you can't do too much good. And relationships certainly always help, but you never know what you're getting into until you're actually knee deep in it. You just have a sense, right? In every investment, there is the point where you have to take that leap of faith, right? Nobody has full information now. We get to the point of full information over time, but we need to control that opportunity now and then commit to closing on that opportunity now. Most certainly, that's some great advice. All right. So one thing that, that, that I'd like to touch on today as well is that, you know, let's say that you, you, you have the model, you've utilized these different resources in order to create a, what you deem to be a realistic, uh, you know, presentation uh, that you can now go to, you know, the marketplace and either a raise capital or B, you know, uh, put it on a listing. If you're, if you're a broker and you're looking to do a listing agreement or something like that, you can go into a situation where you can present your findings and, and see what they say is regarding that. Uh, what are some of what's some of the advice you would give to someone that is in that setting in order to improve their, you know, the the way that their the message is conveyed? Um, unfortunately, people are incredibly superficial, and we will judge a piece of paper based on the patterns that we see as instinctive animals before we judge it based on, you know, how did you get to this year three rent number? So. It's gotta be clean, it's gotta be crisp, it has to be beautiful in a sense, not visually busy, not, uh, I can't, I don't even know where to look, where should I start, what's important, what's not important. Generally speaking, it should read like a book, right? You start at the top left, you work your way down the page, and then if there are multiple columns, you proceed across to the right, down each column. So presentation, and formatting are important. And beyond that, right, if you don't offend people on the superficial level, now you have their attention. But how much time do you have? You know, in a lot of cases, not a whole heck of a lot. So the numbers do need to be realistic. That said, you have to remember, as I said, the pro forma is a marketing document for capital, okay? So it needs to look attractive. And you also need to remember that the audience, those receiving your story about the future are probably gonna cut you off at the knees no matter where you start. So you have to come in a little bit juicy and fat, okay? Because they're gonna say, yeah, right about your rent assumption. Yeah, right, about your condo sales per square foot assumption. So knowing that you come in a little bit fat, a little bit juicy, they're gonna cut you off at the knees. And if what's left over still seems interesting to them, then you might have an opportunity to, to have more conversations. So 
it's a little bit of a sort of a dance or sort of an inside joke that like, oh, these guys are thinking they can, they're performing 900 bucks a foot. Um, all right, let's run it at 825 because there's no high watermark above 825 to date. Um, and oh, you know, it doesn't look so bad even at 825 um, and so on. Oh, for sure. No. And, and I think that, you know, it is much of, it is an art versus a science. Right. And, and I think one of the biggest things that, that I've learned through, and again, I, I, I don't, I've been in the business only several years, so I can't speak to those individuals who've been in the business for 20 plus years, but you know, my experiences in, in an organization like Toastmasters, you know, I think has been immensely helpful in my ability to present uh, effectively. So considering doing something like that, in particular, if you're looking to raise capital or, or, or list in, in a brokerage setting, I think that could be invaluable. And we had a gentleman named Hunter Thompson, who's a, he raises capital for uh, the, the funds of funds model. So he raises a bunch of capital and then places the funds with these large institutional uh, player, not well operators essentially to buy these large multifamily assets. And he had the same thing to say about the pro forma. He's like, spend a little bit of money and making sure that it looks really nice. If you have to hire someone on Upwork and pay them, you know, whatever to make it a good, presentation it's it's worthwhile and he's 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 done it the other way and it, it the results have been starkly different when he's when he's chosen yeah. to do it the way that you described so yeah and one of our business lines is actually selling pre-formatted templates for acquisition and development analyses and um they're presentable and and so on and, and you know can help you get a head start on getting there as far sure. as a, a nice presentation that uh, will be looked at as if it is legit. Definitely. No, of course. So one thing that I want to talk about with you before we open, to, open up to Q&A, because we're getting a ton of questions in the chat box uh, and, and also live, I'll check live as well. But uh, what inspired you to, to, to create this program? Um, because it is a, a very comprehensive program. Uh, and you know, I've, I've, I've done a little bit of research on you and, and your background prior to even hopping on the call. And it, it's just impressive what you guys have been able to build, uh, with this program. So what exactly, what inspired you to do the program? And then obviously what are some of the struggles you faced as you look to scale to, you know, to your business? So. Well, thank you. I appreciate the nice words. So we, we have a, a collection of self-study offerings. The original ones were focus solely on Excel skills for real estate. And it breaks down to three levels. The first is Excel for real estate bootcamp, then the real estate finance bootcamp, and level three is the JV waterfall modeling. Those have been around for about a dozen years and um, have been adopted by large players and many individuals and entrepreneurial players. And in a sense, have become sort of a baseline skill set. Like if you want to go and work as an analyst, a financial analyst at a development shop, at an investment firm, at a lender, if you don't have that level of knowledge and basic skill, you're not in a great place. You need to be able to operate Excel. It's a tool. You need to understand how do I operate the tool, right? As I said, you can't be too good at, and you can't be too fast at this. Um, the faster you are, the more work they're going to throw at you. And that means more opportunity for, for you and for your firm. So that's that was the original self-study offering. And then two and a half years ago, um, I said, you know what? I think there's an opportunity 
And it just so happened to dovetail with COVID. Um, I think there's an opportunity to offer a certification. All of those uh, three programs give skill certifications. I think there's an off opportunity to offer a broader certification that includes those three, but is also talking all about the world of real estate finance and investments. And you'll learn about CMBS and the private equity funds and um, commercial leases and so on. And I have been affiliated with a textbook from my former professor, Dr. Peter Lineman. I was a student of his when I was in business school. And um, I also ended up teaching that book when I was on the faculty at Georgetown. And then he invited me to edit it. And I'm now co-author of the book. And, and it's, Peter gets all the credit. Peter is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And he's a terrific writer and has a tremendous gift for explaining concepts in a very digestible, accessible manner. So he gets all, all, the, all the credit for the book. Um, I'm lucky to be associated with it. But I said to Peter, I said, you know, this is so strong that I think we could craft a program around it. And it's essentially a structured guide through this curriculum that is addressed by the book. And kick the idea around a little bit. And then I started to give it shape, you know, just like anyone else, you, you have to start to define things. If you think there's promise, you spend some time on it, and then you spend some more time on it. And so eventually we put together this program, took about a year um, and launched it in, in, I think, August of 2019. And it, you know, it sort of had its feet under it by the time COVID hit in March, 2020. And because everyone was stuck at home, there was a, a quite a absorption of that because it was a really interesting self-study program. And people said, if I'm stuck at home, I might as well get a, a certification and learn and develop myself further. So um, that's called the REFI certification. It's R-E-F-A-I, but I just pronounce it REFI. Um, and um, we're very, we're very happy and, and proud of it, and it's it's been adopted by you know large institutional players, um, and a lot of individuals, college students, folks who are making lateral changes, folks who are trying to uh, transition to be developers, coming from the construction side or, or from the legal side, and um, it's a phenomenal program. It's basically the crystallization of Peter's thirty-three years of teaching, during which time he created about a dozen courses in finance and real estate at Wharton. And my self-study and Excel skills focused teaching, and we packaged it together in a way that I think is the best of, of all worlds. And it's incredibly multimedia. And um, everyone who finishes the, the program raves about it, okay? And mm -hmm. it's, it's, I'm shocked at the unanimity of the reaction. I'm honestly still shocked. Um, it's challenging. You're going to spend about 150 hours um, and you're going to learn a tremendous amount. Definitely. No, and, and obviously, yeah. you're, you're obviously yourself and, and Peter Lindemann's world-renowned economist as well. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that the value that you can achieve from the course is, is, is quite drastic. And so uh, that's interesting that you say that. Yeah, I, I would say you could probably accelerate your career by by about a year, right? If you apply yourself, work hard, pass the course, and then apply that knowledge every day, right? It's highly, highly practical. We're not, there's no Greek symbols. There's maybe 
two pages in the book where there are Greek symbols, okay? Whereas some mm-hmm. other real estate textbooks, it's like, what happened to the buildings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's highly practical. And it's really, I think, the preferred textbook of a lot of adjunct faculty members who work in the business and are practitioners and teach in the evenings because they realize, hey, this is the real thing. All the other books are talking about Delta and Sigma, and mm-hmm. we're talking about leases and oh, so sure. So um, I encourage folks to, to check it out. Definitely. No, no. I, I had highly encourage you as well. And, and we'll be recording this as well. So if you guys want more information regarding that, we'll be to posting in the description below if you guys listen to this in YouTube or, or a podcast format. So Awesome. So what we'll go ahead and do now is we're going to open up to Q&A. Uh, I want to make sure we get to all the questions. We do have several in, in the chat box. So um, so, so to start off, uh, Mohammed, uh, he asks, uh, got any got any empty, empty commercial unit? Sorry, I'm trying to read the question to make sure I understand it. Uh, he's, he has an empty commercial unit for some time now due to COVID. Does, do you have any recommendations regarding, you know, what, what, what others have done to be able to fill it more effectively? If I did, I'd be a trillionaire. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you got you to keep hustling. That's it. That mm-hmm. hustling, hustling is what has worked in the past, and it will continue to work in the future. Keep hustling. Keep beating the bushes. Don't stop. Yeah, for sure. And 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 depending on what commercial unit space is, I know we mentioned earlier regarding Beth Azor, who's a, a retail broker in in Florida. She does the the pop up strategy where she allows them to use the space for you know xyz amount of time and usually she targets those individuals or business owners that have several locations not just a you know one one person operation and that could be an expansion for them so that may be something especially if it's retail could be could be of value um let's see if we have we got a bunch of it's great to see everyone trying to connect that's that's awesome so John earlier he mentioned he asked what information source that I rec- that I say was a site to do business was what I had mentioned earlier so uh, it, it is a great uh, a great tool that you should definitely utilize uh, Shahur uh, he they ask how do you work without data so he's in an emerging market of Egypt so he wants to know if there's a way you know what what are some of the best ways to maybe compile data so that you can utilize within your your anal- analysis. It's a great question. Actually, my mother is from Cairo. So hello. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, it's a huge challenge in international markets where data is scarce. And the data that you do have at your fingertips may or may not be accurate. So, um, you know, before there were these databases like Comstack and CoStar, people talked. Um, So you have to be in that market, literally immersed in that market. You need to know everyone. You want to strive to know all of the important things before pretty much everyone else does. So you, you have to meet people. You have to let them know what you're looking for, right? They can't help you if they don't know what you're going for. And it's a nonstop, constant endeavor of updating your knowledge and building out your database of comps and opportunities and players and um yeah no and then that, eventually, that's- eventually a lot of these other international markets will have you know just click 
oh, and there's all the information I need. But the US didn't used to be like that mm -hmm. um, until very recently. So be immersed, be hyper local and become the expert in your market. And that's, and that's how you can set yourself up for success. Oh, for sure. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And and like you said, the, the U.S. didn't necessarily have this this data like it does now. I mean, you have access to all these different comps through various different uh, softwares out there. I went to a uh, a conference in New York City last year for CRE Tech, like the Commercial Real Estate Technology Conference. And there's some pretty impressive technology coming down the pike, in particular related to data aggregation and data analytics. So, you know, I imagine over the next five to 10 years, it's going to proliferate outside of just the United States. So, uh, you can be expecting that, I'm sure, in the future. All right. So, Gabrielle, she was asking, what is the book called uh, that, you, that you guys wrote? Yes, it's called Real Estate Finance and Investments, Risks and Opportunities. And uh, it's available at linemanassociates.com. And we can give you the links and the spelling and uh, on the bottom of the page, I think, right? Yep, yep we can. We're going to include that in the description as well. So, yeah, there's like 19, there's like 19 books that are called real estate finance and investments. So we'll make sure you get to the right page. Exactly. No, no, we'll make sure of that as well. So Brad said, I'm working through the REFM program now. He's a great stuff, highly recommend. So that's awesome. Oh, wonderful. So Alex, he asks, uh, what happened? Oh, no. Okay, sorry. He was he was making a comment about one of the comments you made and he thought it was it was it was great. So um <laughs> Uh, okay. So he said, so Joel asks, uh, I have a few months left on my undergraduate, uh, my undergraduate career. What certifications should would you suggest I begin with the three Excel levels? So I do because they're doable in a weekend, not going to be a fun weekend, but if you wanted to do all three certifications in a weekend, you could, you could do it. So it's something you could get through rapidly and have on your resume by Monday type of thing. Um, and then if you want to go deeper and wider and further, you can just reach out to me and I'll apply what you paid for those towards the larger refi certification and we'll transfer your scores over into the refi program because those modules, you know, sit in the curriculum. So um, a great first step is the Excel boot camps and we do have academic pricing. We also have military pricing, which is the same as academic pricing. So um, um, you know, look on the website for the mention of that and the link for how you can get um, approved. For sure. Awesome. So Vasilos, he asks, um, hey, Rafael, can you go over the strategic pros and cons of financing through debt and equity that handles both development and operating properties? Do you want to do you want to have at it, Bruce? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know we you know, can, we could probably be here for an hour and a half. To it's, a broad, it's a broad yeah. question. Um, so there's basically four reasons to use debt. One is you need the capital. Two is you're trying to generate an income tax shield. Three is you want to boost your equity returns. And four is you want to be able to diversify your equity. Right. So even if you have the full capitalization of a, a acquisition or development, um, you know, you want to do two or three at once. And if there's debt available, you you can go access that debt. So that's the big, big picture. Right. Why take on debt? Um, there's tremendous number of conversations beyond that. But just um, mechanically, the use of leverage 
can magnify your equity returns significantly um, and allows you to place more bets in more places simultaneously. You get the income tax yield on the interest payments um, and it can close the gap if you don't have enough equity. Sure. No. And, and, and also understanding too, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It can be a double-edged sword. I had a, you know, a, g- a gentleman that is local here. He used to work for a, um, a private equity firm that they're primarily, primarily focused on investing in hotel assets, you know, around, around the, the region. And obviously when COVID hit, it, 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 it kind of almost put them out of business. So it's one of those things where, and you, you can't, we can't predict what would happen with COVID. Like no one could have predicted what had happened, but again, it's yeah. one of those things that if, you know, it, it's just, it's part of, part of the risk you take, but it can amplify your, your, uh, your returns for sure. Yeah. Um, so Peter Lindemann has a saying, which is debt's your friend on the way up and your enemy on the way down. So you're signing that note, you're on the hook. And generally speaking, unfortunately, when things go bad at one property, it's probably part of something a little bit larger. So as you just said, Raphael, if I'm in the hotel business and I've got three hotels and that's my portfolio, all of those hotels are going to suffer in a situation like this. And in all of those situations, the lenders could come calling saying, you need to put equity back into this transaction because you're now breaking your covenants in terms of the value of the property. So um, it can it can evaporate quite quickly if you're not ready to react with capital. Sure. Awesome. So uh, we had a question from Alexander. He said, I think that the pop-ups are a great idea, but what about insurance for those units? Is that widely available doing something like that? That would be a question I would ask Beth Azor. Um, you know, she's done it before. I have personally not done it. I just kind of threw it out there as, a, as an idea. Uh, I, I believe that she does make them get some form of insurance. I don't know what type of insurance that looks like, but you know, again, and Beth's a great, great person. I, I if you reach out to her on LinkedIn, uh, you know, she's she's more than willing to, to be of, of help. So, um, all right. So Craig asks, uh, Bruce is Bruce going to show any samples of his products or services? I, I don't know if he planned to. I mean, I know you have your YouTube channel where you showcase a lot of the things that you you do on on from the modeling perspective. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, um, but I will make sure that everyone has the links to our greatest hits and, um, and you'll, you can, uh, you know, spend whatever amount of time you want checking things out that there's a lot. Um, yeah. so, um, more than happy to provide those resources. Definitely. So, uh, Krishad, they, they ask, are any advice for young professionals or, I'm sorry, any advice for a young professional or what advice would you give yourself if you had come out of an undergraduate situation looking to get into, into development? Get a job in real estate, any job, and do phenomenally well. Crush it, okay? Work hard. Learn that facet of the business. Become respected at bat. If it's not where you want to spend the next 40 years, okay. But you know what? You've educated yourself on that piece and that becomes an asset going forward. Um, So really get in the game, work in real estate. Don't say, oh, I'm not able to get my dream job. So I'll go work in consulting or I'll go work in software. No, 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 no. 
get into the real estate business in some way, shape or form and work hard and learn. There is so much to learn. It's just a fascinating business, but it's vast. I am still learning about the real estate business every week. Okay. And I've been doing this for about 15 years and it still fascinates me. There's just so much to know and be able to apply those things. And so just, you basically get your knowledge building started. Definitely. That's some great advice. All right. So we have another question. Uh, do you have any quick back of napkin calculations you do for any asset before you go into a more detailed model? Uh, does it make sense to start off with such calculations? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you're not yet in the work world, um, you'll find out pretty quickly if you're at a shop that's on the principal side looking at opportunities. Half of the battle is knowing where you should be spending your time and which opportunities you should be recommending up the chain for those people to spend their time, okay? So you have to be able to take a quick look at something, right? A rough analytical pass to see, does this look interesting at X price? And if so, maybe it's worth running, you know, a model over the lunch hour. Maybe it's worth devoting the entire afternoon to it. Maybe it's worth recommending to my manager and, and we'll all devote an afternoon or a week to it. It's critical. You have to be able to look at something and say, nope, next. There's just, there's just two, if you're, you know, in the business and you're looking for deal flow and people are sending you deals, it's very hard to keep up. So you have to be able to filter things out so you can focus on what is truly promising. Great advice. Awesome. All right. So Clarence asked, uh, for Bruce, uh, if an existing landowner JVs with a developer contributes, excuse me, contributes the land, how do you how do they typically split profits on the back end at the at the reversion? Any upside like a promote besides pro rata split at the exit? It's all over the board, and you know we work with developers, um, and I've seen hundreds of JVs. I haven't seen a hundred thousand. Okay. Nobody's seen a hundred thousand. There's probably a hundred thousand that get put together every year. So nobody's seen it all first and foremost. Um, secondly, it's all negotiated. So at a minimum, right, they're going to want to get their pro rata equity piece, but there could be something like a land kicker where they say, all right, I'm going to get my pro rata share of profits, but if the IRR exceeds 15 or 20, let's say, right? Then I'm going to get 10% of those excess profits. Okay. So it's really up to the creativity of the players and what can be struck in terms of a deal. And um, generally speaking, simpler is better, but unfortunately we don't see these things put together in a simple manner in a lot of circumstances. And that's where all the, you know, stress uh, with the spreadsheets ends up being is, you know, it's very complicated and so on. But, um, you know, the way I like to think about that land kicker is, is as follows. Um, you've got this landowner and they think their land, I'll just use round numbers. They think their land's worth a hundred bucks a foot, right? The developer comes in and says, I can't get this deal financed if I pay more than 80 bucks a foot. 
So I'll let you prove to me that it's worth a hundred bucks a foot. I'll buy it for 80. We'll ride together. And if we succeed, and as I said, let's say exceed a 15% or 20% IRR, you're going to get X percent of those excess profits. And lo and behold, you got your hundred bucks a foot. So it one is way, very, one yeah, way to look at that. So it's very much, it's all negotiation and just going back and forth and seeing what people are amenable to. Yeah. And, but and so. I think the key is if there, if there can't be a deal, who cares that you want a hundred bucks a foot, right? Mm -hmm. um, there, you have to be able to develop the land. So there needs to be some form of meeting in the middle. For sure. Awesome. So Claire asks, she said, I have a master's in data analytics, but work in email marketing consulting at the moment. Any ideas of how to dip my toe in the real estate pool and get started in investing or ownership? Oh my gosh. Well, there's a million ways to make a million dollars in real estate. Um, so, you know, if you work in email marketing, one thing might be to, you know, try to get clients who are in real estate and you'll start to understand how real estate clients market to potential tenants and potential buyers. And that will start to open your eyes to that. That would be a very low risk first move. Now, you're not quitting your job. You're staying with what you know, but you're starting to build an expertise in that other vertical, the real estate vertical. Definitely. Well, that's some great advice. All right. So, uh, Mark, he's tuning in from Ireland, which is awesome. Uh, great to see that. He said real estate, uh, re real estate residential in particular is booming here. Happy to reach out to any investors. So that's cool. Uh, welcome from Ireland. Um, Joel, yeah. he said, how, how was the CRE industry? How has the CRE industry had to adapt uh, with more firms going remote? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, just, I don't think it's any different for CRE. I mean, it can be, I, I think there's, there's a couple of things that we could definitely point to, um, you know, from the landlord perspective and from the tenants perspective. And this was actually written up in the Harvard Business Review, not a real article, a little blurb they put on their website the other day, which is, it's really more so um, an adjustment to concurrent density. Right, so companies are moving to, you're in the office these three days of the week. This group is in the office these three days of the week, right? And so instead of everyone being in the office five days a week or seven days a week, depending on your culture, um, there's a structure to it, right? So the, the, the concurrent number of people in that space is lower and you just have less density in the space, right? And so I think that's, you know, just, it's a pretty basic thing, but just the scheduling of who's in the office when is something that we have seen and, and it's a, a reasonable thing. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, putting hand sanitizer stations around, um, upgrading your HVAC system to see if you can have uh, a HEPA filtration and those types of things. Those are all things that I, I think, you know, have happened and will continue to happen. Listen, this is going to pass. I know, especially if you're young, right? And it's been two years of your life and you're in your 20s, it's 10% of your life. It's going 
to pass. Okay, I get it. It looks like it's never going to end. It will pass. I think we're through the worst of it. People don't want to work in their living rooms, in their attics, in their bedrooms forever. Okay, it's been a cool hiatus for some. Other people can't stand it. Um, there's everything in between in terms of how people feel about it. Um, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to if you want to rise in your firm, you need to be with the people who are going to help you rise. If you want the choice projects, the choice clients, the choice assignments, you got to be present. Okay. And if it's something as well, these two guys, I really like them both and they're sort of equally strong, but hey, Joe is in front of me and let's give it to Joe, you know, because the other guy is on a, on a screen and his head is that big. You're going to show up to the office. Okay. You're going to get out of your room and you're going to get dressed and, and you're going to show up. So I think we're going to go back to pretty much normal. Um, and we'll be ready for the next one of these crazy things with, with a plan. Now, we were totally caught with zero plan as the entire world was. Um, but we'll, we have protocols now and, and the experience of having been through it so that the, the next time this thing happens, I mean, you're gonna, if, you're, if you're in your 20s, you're gonna work in real estate if you want for 30 or 40 years, right? Three or four cycles. You'll probably see another pandemic in the next 30, 40 years, okay? It's just the way it is. Um, but now we have at least a playbook of sorts. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And I, I, I forgot who's mentioned this, but they, they, uh, they said something along the lines of there's always, a, there's a once in a lifetime event happens pretty much every decade. So, you know, <laughs> you're always going to go through a situation where everyone's saying, oh my gosh, this is the once in a lifetime type thing. But in reality, depending on what it is, I mean, it happened like these types of events happen. So, uh, they do pass for sure. All right, so we have enough time. Well, we'll go ahead and, and do two more quick questions, and then we're going to go ahead and wrap it up because I want to be respectful of everyone's time. So uh, Zachary mentioned, uh, you mentioned the, the importance of, of data presentation. Uh, do you believe that VBA should be adapted more to create unique interactive models, or should we stick with traditional pre-built systems? You know, technology is great when it works, Okay. I've worked in Excel for a long time. We also have our own web-based software application, which was born out of Excel and rewritten into JavaScript. It's great when it works. Um, are there things that you can accomplish in a software form that, you know, more true software than Excel? Excel is software and you sort of program within it that you can't in Excel, yes. Are they game-changing? Only if it's as reliable, okay? This is one of the reasons why there's been so many failures or failure to adopt new financial modeling platforms is we know Excel, we trust Excel, we've made billions of dollars with Excel. Why should the chief information officer who has two kids to put through college, stand up in the boardroom and pound the table for an unproven system. Nobody in their right mind would do that, no matter how much venture capital you may have, okay? So um, software is great when it works. 
Software is also prone to tremendous breakdowns. Um, so it's a tough thing to get people to change when they're making money with what they got. Awesome. Great advice. All right. So one last question, and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up. So last question is related to is Cole. So he's tuning in from London. So great to see you, man. Uh, he said, I'm currently at a commercial real estate company as a consultant and my Excel, skill, my Excel skills are definitely not at the level they should be. What is the best program you would recommend that will get me to speed up quickly? The three Excel levels? Yeah, yeah. I think our Excel level one, two, three boot camps, again, it's digestible in a weekend. So if you want to really just ramp yourself up fast, spend the weekend doing that um, or spread it out over however much time you want. But I put those together at the request of Georgetown University when their master's program observed that the very diverse group of students that came in to their master's program, you know, some had worked in consulting and some had worked in architecture and some had, you know, were poetry majors in undergrad, they needed to level out the skills. And so I put these together and then over the years I've refined them and added more in and always kept it current so that you can access them and say, all right, if I can master these 50 things and have an understanding of how, if I push this, that's going to come out over there. Um, you'll have your feet under you and, and you can leverage the tool. Remember Excel is just a tool. You want to leverage the tool to the maximum, but it doesn't make decisions for us. It just gives us, some outputs that we then need to judge and make decisions in part based on those outputs. For sure. Great advice. Okay. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for your time. We do appreciate it. I know your time is valuable and we really value the, the fact that you came today to talk to us a little bit about uh, your expertise and shared some insights with the group. If you want to learn more about you and maybe learn more about the programs that you offer, where, where would you direct them to and how could they reach out to you? Yeah, so um, our main website is get, G-E-T, like to get a mortgage, G-E-T, and then the company initials, refm.com. So get refm.com. And then we have a dedicated learning management system where our self-study products live, which is courses.getrefm.com. And um, if you have any trouble finding anything, just you know, email the, the address at the bottom of the website and, and someone will uh, be happy to direct you. That's awesome. Yeah, I know for sure. And, and again, if, if you guys aren't following uh, you know, their YouTube channel too, there's a lot of really helpful videos on there. I, I checked it out uh, you know, the last week just to kind of get a, get a feel for them. And it's, yeah, it's super helpful as well. And definitely if you, if you get a chance, to, uh, check, out, check out those websites as well. So Awesome. And yes, the last question was related to, will this be recorded? Yes, it is recorded. It's going to be posted on the LinkedIn group as well. So if you guys want to rewatch this and, and garner more of the insights that were shared in this, this uh, recording, then we'll go ahead and do that. So, well, awesome guys. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in. We will see you all in two weeks. We have, again, we do this every other week where we invite speakers to talk about different commercial real estate topics. And, you know, we're excited to see you all next time. Thank you. See you guys. See you, Bruce. It was great meeting you. Bye. Bye. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. See you guys.